0: So we're in Hebrews, and re- I want to remind you of something, if I could. Remember, this book is written primarily to former Jewish believers who have been scattered through persecution. The writer of Hebrews uses words like suffering and public spectacle and that's how he's describing what they're going through. Some of you know exactly what that feels like and it's, become, it's going to become more and more like that. If you're a follower of Jesus today and you are living loud and proud for your Savior in your workplace, certainly in your school or in, in your neighborhood, wherever that might be, you're going to feel more like a public spectacle as the days go on. But you just keep going with that, is what the writer of Hebrews says. And he's encouraging people to go ahead and to endure and to live life with, promises, with confidence in the promises of God. And I want to just connect Hebrews 11, if I could, with the end of chapter 10 for just a moment. In chapter 10, verse 34, it says, "...for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property." Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. This is just a snapshot of what people are going through. The author is thinking of somebody here. I mean, you had your possession, your possessions taken away and you were happy about it. Why and how could you be happy about persecution, about being a public spectacle? Because you've got your eyes on something still yet to come. Still, there, there, there's a better promise. There's a better reward still yet to come. And then the writer quotes a verse from Habakkuk chapter two, verse four. And I'm not gonna have you turn there. We'll stay in Hebrews because the author quotes it verbatim and says this, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Those who are living the way that God wants them to live. That's the simplest definition of righteous that I can give you in this moment. Those who are living that way, will be defined by faith. Those who are not living that way will be defined by their lack of faith. So here's what I want you to hear today as we go into this series called Defining Moments where we're going to be unpacking some of the great faith stories in the scriptures the way the author of Hebrews does. One way or another, your faith will define you. One way or another, your faith will define you. And as we move into chapter 11, the writer links hope to faith and then gives examples of men and women who by faith, they seized moments of obedience that became defining moments of their lives. It it came to be the things that they were known for. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. Now, the author of Hebrews 11 lets us know that they're going to define faith here in just a moment by looking at all those who have gone before us. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd, is how Eugene Peterson says it. And for many of you today, we need to be reminded today that as you're praying for friends or family members, and some of you are praying, you were raised in the church, so you might be using a phrase, I'm praying that they come to faith. Many of them are going to come to faith or perhaps will not by looking at us and how we live our lives. Because most people, not all, but most people are not going to read the Bible. They're not going to do a a deep dive into heavy research on whether or not Jesus is the Christ or whether or not Jesus is resurrected. They are going to watch your life. You are their introduction. You are going to be their first definition of faith. And if you're a parent today, the faith of your kids may surpass you, but more often than not, the faith of your kids is going to look just like yours when they become adults. Why? Because you are their first definition of faith. You are their definition. These defining moments that we're going to be looking at over the weeks to come were accomplished by faith in the promises of God that they did not see come to fulfillment. They had faith that one day there would be victory forevermore. They had faith that one day they would rule and reign with God in his kingdom and it would be from everlasting to everlasting. Understand this. They believed in the promise of resurrection before Jesus resurrected. They couldn't see it, but they were sure of it. And that kind of take-hold faith defined their lives and their decisions. And for every single person on the planet today, one way or another, your faith will define you. One way or another, it will define you. And then in first, verse 1, the author gives a, a very short definition of faith by way of introduction, because he's going to be expanding on it with the stories that he's going to remind the people of. So he's, he says faith is assurance. Faith is conviction. Faith is proof. How can faith be proof? I mean, oftentimes, people will challenge your faith. But the author says, by its very nature, by its very definition, faith is assurance, it is conviction, it is proof. And then he uses an illustration in verse 3. He says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. No human being saw God create the earth because when God created it, there, there weren't any humans yet. I mean, Adam and Eve came towards the end there, but they did not see God... Create light. They did not see him create the sun, moon, the stars, all the things that he's doing. And the writer is saying every time you step outside and look at creation, you can be reminded that even though you didn't see God do it, he has done it. That all he had to do was just speak a word, do something invisible as those words go out and the visible came to be those same people that had that conviction and the things they did not see that w- they were the model so that we could have conviction and things we have not yet seen come to pass and that is an introduction to faith and Eugene Peterson says it this way the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. Faith is the foundation. I I like that, but as I was praying and studying this week, a different picture came to my mind. I used to spend my summers in... In central Florida with my grandparents and I would be there for six to eight weeks at a time. And my grandparents did exactly what grandparents continue to do when they are put in charge of the kids and you drop them off at the house. They try to be as busy as possible. Right? I mean, they love their grandkids, but they know success comes by making the time pass. And so my grandparents were awesome at that, and there were lots of things in Central Florida to do. But one of the things that I love to do, and something that became part of my, my summers or anytime I was there, was that we would go stand in the front yard anytime a space shuttle was going to take off from Port Canaveral. Now, they were about 100 miles from Port Canaveral, but when a space shuttle would take off, you could see it just as soon as it got above the tree line. Amazing, powerful thing to watch happen. But there was one time where we loaded up the RV and we went all the way over to Port Canaveral to one of the the beaches close by there. And I remember how incredible, powerful it was to watch this rocket take off and not have any idea of how far it's going, not even to be able to comprehend the mission that was going to take place. But that rocket is not going anywhere without a particular foundation. That rocket is not going anywhere without a launching pad. Now, I'm not talking about a platform. I'm talking about the launching pad, the thing that the shuttle is attached to, and then it takes a point eight miles an hour journey for over six miles down the crawler, all the way down. We would, the rest of us would look at it and call it a, a runway, but it's a track system they call a crawler at NASA, and they would put the thing in place. But what goes in place is not the rocket by itself, it's the rocket with its launching pad. What's the big deal? The rocket has to have it because the launching pad has its fuel, it has its power, it has its directional system. That rocket is not going anywhere without the launching pad being underneath it. It is absolutely critical, which is why I believe the author says in verse six, he says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, there is no lift off. Without faith, there is no take off for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him without faith there's no power there's no fuel there's no direction there's no assurance there's no conviction there's no proof but here's the good news today with faith all things are possible you can go higher and faster and further and see things see things that you never even could begin to imagine today if you are connected to faith. If your life is full of faith, you will discover God's best for you. I was thinking of a particular parable that Jesus writes, that, that Jesus tells that illustrates faith, and it's found in Matthew chapter 25. And Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is in the middle of a sermon of sorts that he gives on the end times. It's kind of fascinating to look and see what, what Jesus says about those things, but he gives a couple of parables with similar Meanings, And he tells this particular one about a master who has three servants, three hired people who are part of his team. And the master is going to go away for a period of time and he's going to entrust them with parts of his estate. So, the scriptures say in Matthew chapter 25 that he gave to one five talents, is the word that's used there. To another, he gave two talents, and to another, he gave one talent. Now, people always feel sorry for the person who only got the one talent. Like, why did this person get five? Why this person? Here's what I want you to understand a talent in modern measurements would be anywhere from one to $1.4 million. You don't feel sorry for the guy with one anymore, do you? So the master goes away, and let's just round it off. He gives $5 million to one person, he gives $2 million to one person, and he gives, he gives $1 million to the last person. He gives them all this opportunity to share in part of his estate, to share in his property, to share in what he is doing. Master goes away, he comes back to settle the accounts, as Jesus tells the story, and he goes to the guy with five and he says, so... Where's my money? What, what, what happened? How'd you do? And, and they all understood that they were supposed to expand the estate on behalf of the master. The guy with five million presents back to his master 10 million. Now that's, that's pretty decent. Well done. I'll, I'll, I'll buy that book. That's fine. You go ahead and put it. Maybe he wrote a book. Maybe that's how he did so well. I don't have any idea. He did great. The guy with two. When the master comes back, he also doubles. He presents the master with 4 million. Whatever they did, they did absolutely great. And so when the master returns, he says the same thing to these first two people. And maybe you've heard this phrase before. Verse 23 of Matthew 25. His master says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much Enter into the joy of your master. What does that mean? Enter into the joy of your master. In other words, enter into partnership with me. Continue to be a part of what I'm doing. I'm gonna continue to entrust you with with what I've got. Enter into the joy of your master. Reap some of the rewards of what you've done is what he's saying. Now, I'm not sure what you have focused on when you've heard this statement before. And certainly if you were raised in the church, you've heard this statement, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, hello, five million, two million, one million. You've been faithful over a little. This master has a lot to go around. Let's just say it that way. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. It's a parable tucked into Jesus' teaching on the end time. So for a lot of people, and rightly so, they hear this statement and they take from Jesus, this is what you want to hear when you walk into heaven. That one day when you leave this earth, and you come face to face before Jesus, your Savior, that the first words out of his mouth will be, well done, good and faithful servant. Yes, I want to hear him say that. That's awesome. He says, well done. He doesn't say, well thought. He doesn't say, well considered. He doesn't say, you had some good ideas there. He says, well done. You actually did some things. You, you prayed about some things. You put some plans in motion. You actually took some steps of obedience because if all you do is just think about it, it's worthless, right? In fact, James would go so far as to say that faith without works is dead. He says... Well done, good and faithful servant. We know Jesus is about serving. He teaches us that in order to be first, you have to be last, that the greatest among you will be your servant, that the Son of Man himself, Jesus himself, came not to to be served but to serve us and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. As I was reading and praying this week, you may be catching on to what word, came to mind what words stuck out that hadn't really stuck out before. Well done, good, and fill in the blank. Oh my goodness. All right, I'm gonna try this again. All right, well done, good, and faithful. That's nice, thanks for adding the servant over here, that's good. Well done, good, and faithful servant. Now, if you're writing it out, if you're taking notes, here's what I'd like for you to do. Write down the word faith, write a dash, and then spell out the rest of the word and add an L to it. Well done, good and faithful servant, someone who every single area of their lives is full of faith, full of belief, not shrinking back over the little things or over the great things. You know, sometimes I catch myself saying things like this when I'm trying to counsel people, encourage people, and I'm making fun of myself now. I'll say, you know, make, make sure you add an element of faith to that. That's a good idea. But make sure you add an element of faith to that. It sounds, it sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? Hey, that's a great prayer. Why don't you add an element of of faith to that? Don't just think about how far you can take something. Rather, think about how far God can take something. That's awesome. But the scriptures don't tell us to sprinkle a little bit of faith into our lives. Rather, the scripture says we are talking about a life filled to the brim with faith. Faith full in every area of your life. It's a life that considers any situation, every situation, whether it be good or bad, as full of potential that God may be glorified and that all things will work out together for our good. It's not just a life that considers any circumstance full of faith. It's a life that considers any person full of potential that God may be glorified. Anyone. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse seven. Look at this very carefully. This is referred to as the love chapter. It's a description of God's love. Love bears all things. Look at the next one believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It's a description of God's love. God's love looks at anyone from any background and believes great things are prepared for that person. And that's true for every single one of you. God's love looks at you and believes great things. In spite of your mistakes, In spite of your addictions, your strongholds, your shame, your guilt, your grief, your pain, God's love looks at anyone and says, I believe in great things for you. Because, listen to this, somebody needs to hear this today. Because God is love, God believes in you. It's just part of his nature. It's who he is. Don't let someone else's lack of faith in you define you. Let God's faith in you define you. I wanna come back to one other thing that was said to these two guys who doubled the investment that the master made in them. We'll come back to that in a moment, but I wanna look at the third guy, the guy that was only given a measly million and see how he did. Matthew chapter 25 verse 24 says, he who had also received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, what I have is yours. Now the response that Jesus gives as he's telling this story in just a moment is is really astounding. But there's a couple things that are going on that are wrong here. First, The most tragic part of this is that this servant returns to his master and says, I was afraid. And in his excuse making made the master the object of his fear. How poor an understanding does this person have of God who loves us completely, who loves us first, who loves us Still, but in his excuse making, just chose not to believe the truth about the master. And here's what you need to understand. The same master entrusted this servant for the same reason he entrusted the others. Because he wanted him to uncover great plans and purposes for his life. The master entrusted him with what he did because he loved him and he believed in him. And in spite of all that, the person didn't steal it, gave the money back because he was afraid, the antithesis of faith. And that's where some of you are today, standing on the edge, standing on the ridge, what if I can't do it? What if I fail? What if I'm laughed at? What if it's a waste of time, this thing that God has put on my heart, what if, what if, what if? And look at the response. Jesus says the master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. Some of you, if you're following along in your translations, it calls, the master calls the servant wicked. It's wicked to live like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The master says, I was after the best for you. I was after the best for me, but I was after the very best for you. And to not take hold of that, to not believe that is a criminal, wicked, terrible waste of a life. It's no way to live. Listen, when God puts something in front of you, it's okay to be nervous. It's okay to hesitate. It's okay to think it through. Please do. It's okay to look out below, but take the deep breath and be obedient and take the leap of faith. One way or another, one way or another, your faith will define you. I was sitting at the Passion Conference in Atlanta a couple weeks ago. It's a conference for college students and I snuck in the back door because I'm way out of being a college student. and I snuck in one particular night to hear a tremendous communicator who I love, one of my favorite communicators. It's a lady named Christine Kane. Uh, she's a, a Greek woman from Australia, which is a whole other story she tells. And those of you that have heard of her, you know she just preaches the paint off the walls every time she gets the opportunity. And she pointed out something that I didn't have to go back and listen to this week because she pointed out something in her talk that night that I'll never forget, and I thought it was worth sharing with you. Did you know that there are two times in the New Testament where Jesus marvels at faith? Where he is awestruck by someone's faith. Where he is literally stopped dead in his tracks because of someone's faith. Remember, one way or another, you will be defined by faith or your lack of it. The first time is in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, Jesus goes back to his hometown of of Nazareth. He's got his disciples with him and he's just he's teaching. And the response to the people of Nazareth, they would say things like this. You can look at Mark 6 in your groups this week and you should. They would say things like, "What makes him so smart? Where did he get this from?" He would do miracles and people would say, "How is he doing all these miracles?" He's not so special. His family's not so special. Isn't his dad a carpenter? I had his brothers and sisters over at the house for a play date last week with my kids. You wouldn't believe the wreck that those kids made in this house. Who does this guy think he is? We know his family. He's not special. He's just like us. The first time that Jesus marvels at faith, Mark chapter 6, verse 6, it says this. He marveled because of their unbelief. He was awestruck. He was stopped in his tracks because of their unbelief. And I wonder sitting here today, if your name came up in a heavenly conversation, how would faith define you? Because we have a choice. He will either marvel at our unbelief, or he will marvel. At our belief, Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 says, when he entered, this is a story, another story about Jesus, he entered Capernaum, that town on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. A Roman centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, I will come heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I know how this works. I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. The centurion says, Jesus, you don't have to take another step. My house is way over here. There's so many people around to see you right now. You don't have to take another step. You don't have to be under my roof. You don't have to be in the room. Just say the word. I know what it is to have authority. This centurion says, I know what it is to have people under my charge, to, have, to ask people to jump and they will do it. I can ask people to do anything and they have to do it or they lose their lives. I see your authority as being the same but much greater. Because you can heal from this place if you would just say the word. The second time Jesus marvels, Matthew 8 verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who follow him, truly I tell you with no one in Israel have I found such faith. If Jesus is going to marvel at our lives, if he's going to be awestruck, if he's going to be stopped in his tracks, I want it because my life was faith full to the brim in every single area of my life. I want to be the very definition so that people will look and say, wow, if God can do that with that person, who knows what he would do with me? One way or another, your faith will define you. And so when you are reconciled to that, you might say, wow, I thought faith was for like super Christians. How do I get it? What do I do? do? And and how do I get a lot of it so God can do great things? The disciples asked a a similar question in Luke chapter 17. The apostles, Luke calls them, but these are the disciples following Jesus. They, They said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord Jesus said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea and it would obey you. Now, I I could have brought one. I'm sure we have something in the house, but if if I'd have held it up, it wouldn't have done any good. Mustard seed, sesame seed, something that small and insignificant. If you've got faith like this, you can say to the tree, move, and it will move. Now, some of you weren't familiar with the tree verse. You're familiar with this verse. Luke 17, excuse me, Matthew 17. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. This will move that. This will move whatever it is. When I was a kid, I thought this verse meant that God was going to give me the force sorry, from Star Wars. I can remember being in elementary school and thinking if a mustard seed can move a mountain, then I can move this pencil in Jesus' name right now. I mean, y'all know I was a nerdy kid, right? I mean, you've already figured this out. I just, I just knew it. I believed with everything I've got, that I was going to be able to walk outside and make rocks levitate. Listen, I could go look at Stone Mountain or Kennesaw Mountain or Lost Mountain, and I'm not going to be able to make any of them move a fraction. He's not talking about the quantity of your faith. He's talking about the object of your faith. And if the object of your faith wants to move the tree, he'll move the tree. If the object of your faith wants to move the mountain, he'll move the mountain. If the object of your faith wants to use you to build the ark, to face down the giant, to stand in the lion's den, then if your faith is full on him, anything will be possible. And that's what we're going to be looking at. That's what we're gonna be looking at over these next several weeks. These were defining moments in the lives of the heroes of our faith. Faith defined them. And it will define you. And it will be your assurance, your evidence, your proof as you put faith into action. Matthew chapter 25, verse 29 is that verse I wanted to come back to from the story that Jesus tells. It says, for to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. I've heard this verse misused all kinds of ways. Unfortunately, misused by pastors who say Just like the parable of the talents, if you give five, God will give you five. Some pastors will say, if you give five million, God will give you five million. I mean, I've just heard it taken to all kinds of places. It's not where Jesus intended it to go. And I know where he intended it to go because there's something about faith in the New Testament. There's something embedded in the word that you need to understand as we go forward. Faith is always a gift from God. Every single time. Faith is always a gift from God. And it's not offered to a few. It's not offered to just the elect. It's offered to every single one of us. Faith is what God offers Noah I'm offering you a chance to save the world something is going to come from the sky that you've never seen before that's an offering of a gift from God people are going to mock and ridicule you when the animals show up that's an offering of a gift from God Samson I know you've blown it but here in this moment at the end of your life if you will give me just a little bit of faith one more time we will do more together in this last moment than you have done in the whole of your life it's an offer Gideon I you're not going to like what we're going to do here But your army is going to go from thousands to 300. And then you're going to go into a battle without a sword or a spear. What a gift, God. Thank you so much, God. Some of you are standing in front of circumstances today that you wish he had not given you but if you will trust him with the gift he has given you you will overcome he will overcome and it will define your life together that's what we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks some stories that are just going to blow your mind and we're believing that God has called us as a church into this series because we believe we're on the edge of a new season of defining moments and not big things that we're just going to be celebrating on the screens but things that are going to be happening in your life victories that you are going to have that you've never had before as together we say God increase our faith would you pray with me Today, faith is a gift of God extended to every single one of you. That salvation gift is extended to every single one of us and you receive it by faith. And today, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we'd love to have the opportunity to pray with you after the service. Our prayer team will be on either side. We'd love to explain what salvation is to you and be able to lead you through that moment. For those of you who are already believers in the room, that's how we refer to ourselves, right? Believers in Jesus. We are already people who have faith in Jesus. But his plans for you are much more than just salvation. And some of you right now are standing on the edge of faith. You're standing on the edge of a circumstance. It may be a positive opportunity, a step That you are supposed to take, and you are scared to death, and that is completely okay. You probably have every reason to be afraid, but you also have every reason to believe in a God who will give you the victory and be with you every step of the way. So, today, it's okay to look out below. Take a deep breath. Take the leap. And give God all the glory. God, would you empower your people? Would you give courage to your people? Would you use this series to send this church on a trajectory, God, that we have not yet known? God, our desire is to reach the 357,000 people around us who around 90% of are not in church today. God, here we are as this little band of brothers and sisters. And we're praying for the harvest. We're praying that God, you would open up the heavens. That you would do great things. And that you might even use us. So God, from the big to the small. Would you move trees and mountains? with the smallest amount of faith, we put all of our faith in you, God. Fill us to the brim. May we be full of it. In Jesus' name, amen.